Hello, and welcome to another episode here of Reboot Your Relationship, and this is your host, Joe Whitcomb. And, you know, one of the things we're going to be talking about today is intimacy, and intimacy is such a powerful thing. It's, it's, it's super, super powerful, and it's really the idea of joining here in the truth and with grace and love, that unforced rhythm of grace and truth. Um, and that's going to be an important part of how we begin to bring together our partners and that enables us to really achieve more than we could and that we're able to on our own. And um, one of the things I, one of my biases I'm just going to lead with as I lead with in most all of my episodes here is some of my biases is that, uh, you know, we are born into relationship for love, connection, a sense of belonging, uh, connection, um, significance and we're born into that and we are wired for love as uh, Stan Tatkin talks about this wiring for love in the brain and the body it's all part of our attachment systems and and you know and so that's that's a really important part of understanding that we're we're there and then we kind of learn relationships right through relationships through uh, the modeling of our parents and uh, the good, the bad, the ugly of all that, right? There's good, there's good. and But all that modeling, and because children, as children, we learned, you know, what we lived and we live what we learned. And and then we have all the wounding, right? We have the these unconscious attachment wounds and patterns that come out from a family of origin and uh, could be betrayals, uh, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, uh, abandonment, uh, adopt, you know, if you're adopted, anything that is whether it's a capital T trauma um, or a small T trauma, doesn't really matter because when you're in, when you're experiencing trauma, it's one of those, it, it's uh, the post-traumatic stress reordering of the brain, the nervous system, your DNA structure, your hormones, everything gets uh, impacted. And, uh, and as uh, there is a book called the body keeps score. So the body keeps score. And so all that stuff's happening. So, there's not one dimension that can really define the, all these different moving parts because all these dimensions are co-occurring simultaneously and it's really hard to just find out, okay, which ones, because there's so much of this as a systemic problem. But the good news is, is that when, because we're broken in the context of relationship, relationship is the vehicle. It's the, it is the path, the practice. It's the crucible of our own uh, transformation and healing in, in, in our partnerships. So, it, so this type of thing when we're dealing with intimacy and bringing those two worlds together, it brings us together with our partners. And again, it helps us to achieve um, much more than we could be able to on our own. But yet again, this is sometimes where we get these, we get stuck. You know, when I'm with working with couples, uh, we get stuck and they don't quite flow as well. And there's a sense of, um, you know, stuckness and we could get stuck in all sorts of places. And that stuckness is happens to relate to our patterns that relatedness in our relationship with our partner or it could be more like an inner um, type of stuckness, right? Where you feel like you're not really able to get beyond, like you're not being able to be quite as effective 
um, as you would like to in your life, right? So you have these different impingements and, and, and barriers to life and love. And that's going to be some of the stuff that we talk about today so that we're able to understand because we always have the intent and then the effect. Um, so the kinds of things that we want to understand is when you feel the effects of uh, maybe it's a powerlessness or helplessness that you learned or there's depression and anxiety that goes with it or grief, this frozen grief. So these kinds of things that hold us back are where we know you want might not be shining your brightest. And, and the one thing, though, it's really important as we kind of think about it, I'm just going to share this one little um, uh, text that I had the other day um, I had been writing about here is how we grow. So we do not grow uh, absolutely or chronologically. We grow sometimes in one dimension and not in another. And, um, and that can be sometimes unevenly. And then we grow partially, right? <laughs> and then you could be kind of growing and uh, you can grow relative. Um, we're mature in one realm and very childish in another, right? The past, present, and future are mingled and pull us forwards and backwards and, um, you know, and fix us in the present. And this is kind of where we get into where we're made up of all these layers and cells and constellations that make us who we are today. So that's, so kind of think of growth because a lot of us want the microwave version of maturing and growing, right? The microwave, you just pop it in and, you know, it takes, you know, two minutes later, you're good, you know, or 10 minutes later. But Growing in relationships is more like a crock pot. So when you have a crock pot, right, and you're making, let's say, this beef stew or whatever you're putting in there, because when you put everything into that crock pot, you put the vegetables in there, you put the meat, the seasoning, all this stuff goes in there. And at the end of, let's say, the... Uh, at the end of that time, guess what? You begin to have a um, uh, this perfect stew, right? This perfect, perfect, perfect stew that is going on, and you can eat it. So, but they all cook at different times and paces. You know the rhythm and pace of all that going on. So that pacing is super important to know that you know sometimes as couples you are growing in a different way, in a different path. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're growing apart. It just means that you got to find a way to uh, get on the same page where you, you are having a, uh, a shared context or shared language or tools, resources, so that you are moving together. And that's, that's one of the things that we do um, in couple therapy is really help you both begin to identify what are some of the things that are going on and so that you're not, you move out of that one up, one down dynamic where one of you's outgrowing the other, right? And you get into that parent child or sinner saint or, you know, because uh, you will see a pattern sometimes where, you know, let's say one person's wanting to grow and the other person doesn't want to grow as much, right? 
And so that can be a conflict. So the one that's wanting to grow and connect is going to have a challenge because they're gonna, you're going to feel unmet. You're not going to be as seen or feel as connected. You're going to feel alone on this journey, right? And then you have the other person as well who doesn't want to grow necessarily, or maybe it doesn't want to grow the way you want to grow, or there's a different thing that they're maturing in right now. And it doesn't mean they don't want to grow with you. It just means you're growing in different ways in these multiple dimensions, but that's where they might feel, you know, judged, right? So we're always trying to kind of move through these things. So because intimacy has this amazing transformative power and how it gives us access to these deeper parts of us that we're just talking about all these multiple dimensions. And I'm bringing this up today because we're going to be talking about mastering and creating intimacy in uh, our relationships and how we also create that in, uh, you know, couple therapy cut or, you know, reboot your relationship um, intensives or reboot your relationship uh, couple therapy or, groups that we do, because this is where we're going to begin to um, effect really profound transformation. And by harnessing who we innately are as humans, as feeling creatures, as people that are constantly trying to evolve and grow and transform. And <laughs> I know we're called homo sapiens here, and we're people who know but I believe that it's also important to acknowledge how we feel and that our feelings and as many illustrious people before me and all the people I've ever connected with have noted, you know, this is part of what we have to do that's allowed us to adapt to our world in ways that are really beneficial to our survival and also to our enjoyment and life and living and connection. So we're going to be going into that. Um, today and really begin looking at um, how to create transformation and permanence in change, right? And we'll be talking a little bit later about the distinction between first order change, which is simply changing a behavior, and second order change. And that's going to be a miracle or shift in perception and how we're viewing our partners and one another. So we'll get into that a little bit, but um, a lot of this is going to be based on um, a lot of different modalities. Um, I developed a trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method, which is an attachment-based, um, emotionally focused approach with neuroscience, interpersonal neurobiology, attachment science, um, as well as uh, some things around, <laughs> we bring in improv and narratives and uh, music and movies to help people really connect to these unconscious patterns and it helps to illuminate some of these nebulous uh, patterns that go on in our relationships. So we want to engage you today and uh, bring this modality um, and how we are going to work through these attachments, the attachment science, the interpersonal neurobiology, um, and how the brain and the body and the mind and the emotions and the relationships, again, all these uh, part moving parts, how they're all kind of working and operating together so that you can really have, uh, make that distinction in your partnership and your relationship. So um, 
And we're going to talk about process quite a bit. And I think there's a lot here that's useful just to learn here about how we operate as, as an I, as a people, and our selfhood and our sovereignty. Okay, that I, you know, but also as a we. That's and when I talk about we, the we-ness, we're talking about the space between. Okay. So there's three people here. There's me, there's you, or me, my partner, and that third person is that we, the space between. And that's going to mean really getting into discussing, you know, how, what is co-occurring in that space between dynamically. So we're going to be getting into that. And I just want to just get into, uh, also, um, if you need to reach me, you can reach me at 310-560-0726. Or you can, you know, email me at joe at rebuildingconnection.com. And we're going to uh, also be talking next week with uh, one of my uh, good friends, colleagues, uh, Julie Upton, who just came out with a book and on uh, perceptions and projections and how to get out of that drama cycle. Um, so that's going to be really important uh, information, too. You're going to learn a lot from her. So here we go okay so when we look at when we look at this stuff we want to condense everything into a mirror um because when we look into a mirror you know we're able to kind of reflect back what's going on within us like who is that person in the mirror because it's hard to see the picture right when you're in the frame <laughs> it's hard because you can't see back into you. So a mirror is a way to kind of explain how we can create a uh, reflective way of looking at ourselves and also creating safety and security and creating enough safety so you can experience some of the really deep core emotions that contain within them the power to transform your life, your relationships, your love, and all those things that are going on, but really to, to create a collect a, let's say a corrective emotional experience right to create that emotion corrective emotional experiences meaning you're able to really transform it because you're not only talking about it from your head you're also talking about it as a reenactment or a, a way of reconnecting right to yourself and your partner in whatever ways right so those connections are really super important so let's we're going to talk about how we're going to get there and we're going to start by taking a stand here because it's pretty clearly super important to all of us that we're able to participate actively in our own transformation. And, and rather than taking a more passive or re, uh, approach, uh, we want to take on more of a receptive or maybe, you know, get the, validate that all these things that are co-occurring right now are super important, but there are a lot of things here that, you know, that, uh, that necessarily get us in the trench. So to start with Rumi's quote, we're gonna talk about Rumi a little bit. And his quote is, and this is one that you hear me talk about constantly, is um, our task here today isn't to find love, our, our task is to find all the barriers that we have set against it. So we're gonna jump into that, and we're gonna talk about this model today and we'll go through the stance and get you guys more deeply into it. And what I'd like to say that in addition to the safety part that we were just talking about, that secure base, has two secure um, 
securely functioning adults in the room are doing working with therapy or coaching because in terms of the safety to really have people feel safe to come forth with your experiences and who you are and process those emotions can feel very challenging and coming out from behind the mask <laughs> those barriers uh, can be very confronting as intimacy is it is vulnerable it is joining in the truth it is intimacy is so confronting and we, but this is part of what we're engaging you to try on so that you can have that sense of safety in your relationship and the 96 million dollar question is that i always bring up is are you there for me can i count on you do you have my back do you do i matter am i important <clears throat> right those questions are you going to be accessible and responsive and, and emotionally engaging? And if it's a yes, and that's what the safety brings to the relationship, that's the, that felt sense, those corrective emotional experiences that, hey, you've got my back, right? Then we know we can move on and we can create that space. But if it's a no, we got some work to do. If it's a, it's a uncertainty or confusion and that doesn't happen, then we gotta get back to creating that sense of safety because when you feel safe, then everything else begins to work too. But until we get there um, and we find that secure base or the couple bubble, as Stan Tatkin talks about the couple bubble, but we do that so we can get to the deeper emotions, right? Um, so I'd like to say most of us need to sort out the core, core, core fundamental assumption is that healing resides within us. And this is really important that it's not out there you know, it's that it's, uh, and it's always been there from the get go, side by side with the suffering, the stuckness that you talk about in, you know, in, in, in your life, because, because what do we have, right? We have trauma, we have depression, we have difficulties in relationship and whatever that is that brings people to therapy or to me or to this podcast, the accounts for this, they're not being fulfilled or really shining as brightly again as you sort of you know as we sort of talk about every episode but we want to do that side by side parallel thing where you're both leapfrogging up this mountain because there is capacity for healing and that's just absolutely wired into us it's in our dna um to want to 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 grow and heal because when we're not growing and healing Okay, that's when we feel stuck again. We feel energetically. So kind of pay attention to your body and experience. <clears throat> the emotions in Latin means to move. You're either moving toward or away or against. So as you're turning towards yourself and growth, what do you feel? You feel more alive. You feel more connected. You feel more freedom. You feel more light and airy. You're able to move through things faster when you're turning towards your goals and your future you know, the, the, your, your, uh, your strengths and all those values that make you, you, right? Those strengths. But when you're turning away from those or turning against the things that you, uh, that bring you growth and love and connection, belonging, you feel that weight that it's kind of like this, this kind of, a uh, quicksand, right? That quicksand, it pulls you down and you feel that sense of immobility and stuckness, right? And so be with that and it's okay. Give your permission, yourself permission to say, 
I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, because we're stuck, and that's okay. But we gotta get unstuck. So we're gonna go through this, and I want you to think of this, uh, you know, as we go through this. Uh, and I do wanna talk about some other assumptions here that actually allows me to sort of sit with whoever I'm working with. And, and when I'm with you, because just in a confident or comfortable way, that we need to be, you know, ready here. So, so much of this is deeply within, you know, you or them, and we can just bring it forth, bring forth that um, ability, so that what's going on is we're able to say it in the background, but it's not the background. What with that as a foundation, and I think that sense of safety, that stance as a as a therapist, is about creating a relationship. It's about creating the the within and the between and that that safety really comes from the fact that we actually are two people in the room and acting in that way, right? They're both committed to that sense of that creating that secure base that you both can count on. And, you know, and, and again, in my, when I'm working with you as a couple, I never pick sides. I'm always going to be on the side of the relationship and the relationship is my client, my who I'm focusing on, so that weakness. And that safety really comes from the fact that we, again, are uh, able to consider ourselves a part of the healing diet that we need, and that's formed together. And that's my experience and sort of my response, but not just my thoughts and not just my words that are really important here and parcel of that, but we're co-creating and that allows the, you as a person, hopefully to start to feel safe from the very, very early on, you know, in the beginning of the work that we do together. And that's so critically important um, that we're able to get into that space, again, that space between. And that's a co-creating, uh, again, co-creating that shared context, language, tools of safety and being in it and co-creating that process. Okay, so um, one of the things I do a lot of training with other therapists and other uh, coaches and, you know, in the first session is really that sense of sacred, holy space. And it's sacred in one very, very particular way because it's the only encounter that we'll, we'll ever have that has no history, right? In the first meeting, we've come to it with no history of each other. That's why relationships can start kind of in a kind of a false sense of security, a false, because uh, you don't really have any, you haven't had any hurts, hangups, pain. So creating that in the beginning, you know, this is where, you know, it, you're beginning to create patterns in history in the very first encounter that you have. And, you know, establishing that you're kind of forming that relationship. There is chemistry, there's the liking, the, you know, we don't really have that secure attachment yet, but you, you don't have that history. So things feel super safe. So we already established this kind of way of being and, and not that it, it can't change and not that it can't be altered. I don't mean that, it's, but it's, it's not necessarily fixed, but it is history. So the forming part of your relationship is like anything. It's like that wet cement and you're drawing patterns into the wet cement. And those patterns create 
certain ways of being, right? Now, I always make that distinction between, there's a different distinction between problems and patterns. Problems find solutions, and patterns are a fixed way of being. And so early on, these patterns get imprinted in your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your partner, your siblings. All these things are, you know, imprinted and indelible, you know, intrinsically within and between you and your family of origin or whomever that way is. So just like in our first sessions, when you start to work with me, we have that unique opportunity to define, or if you're in your relationship, to define the relationship in particular terms so that he, so because I think that's really super incredibly important um, that those agreements are being made. And again, I always say expectations without consent creates resentment. So the first session is really so much devoted to like when you do come with me is like, Hey, tell me where you're born. You know, how many people are in your family? How many therapies do you have? Or, you know, did you have growing up or, you know, recently, uh, how was that for you? Um, what kind of history taking, you know, you know, and it's that kind of history taking, which of course is really super important as we go through this because it captures your information and it helps us connect what's happening and what's going on within you and in your partner. But that information is there for the acquiring for, so we can get to the second session or even the seventh session. So all that stuff is, you know, in writing and, and we acquire that in a million different ways. And, uh, but this unique, you know, interaction between us is where we're sort of creating something together for the first time. So when you come see me, it's like that relationship. It's a unique opportunity. So we can really begin starting from that very beginning, from the very first moment of that first encounter when you come in and see me. So, it, so kind of, it's not like a date, but think of it, it's kind of like a first date, you know, trying to get to know somebody because sometimes it can be a degree of pressure that people don't really like. You may not like it because it can be really true because before that moment, you don't have any idea about that person or, or, or they don't know anything about me or you. So it can be a little intimidating at first, but what I really like about it is that we're honoring the fact that we're creating a relationship, you know, and, and that relationship is something we're co-created, right? Yes, it is like that first date analogy. And it is a lot easier in some ways when you start going along and, and, and then there's that one person who's sort of in charge, right? Uh, in the, in the room. And so it's not both people sort of in one way it's, you know, and then another way it isn't always there, but that's what we have roles. And that's why you're going to see me. And, but it has some of this unknown and the potential and excitement as well as some terrifying aspects of meeting because being vulnerable with total stranger you know, is scary, you know, by the second meeting, you know, you won't be a stranger anymore. You'll be someone that we know. And as we get to know each other, it gets easier. So there are many, many things here that actually stand out. And, you know, so we can get to much of the suffering and pain that comes from having experiences that have maybe occurred for you in isolation, or we feel like we can't share them with another person or there's something wrong with us and we have no way of really checking that out, 
that reality out, doing the reality testing perspective checking, because it's all happening, you know, within us. And this is really important and critical to any of our growth here. So, um, but we want to go again, this is all happening inside of us. And so the power of bringing an acknowledgement to every experience with me, you're not alone. What you just went through right here with me, you see how we were in this together so that you can have those corrective emotional experiences and generalize that and take that experience to your other your partner or other people here as well, because this is so crucial. You know, it's implicit in any relationship or any therapeutic relationship. Yet here's the strange thing is that merely by being with another person within a, let's say a conversation, um, you know, we get to have, uh, uh, or in this relationship does not necessarily automatically translate translate into not feeling alone, you know? And actually I think one of the most painful ways of feeling alone is feeling alone in the presence of other people, right? Have you ever been that person? You know, you, you are with them and you know, you're in a room, but filled with people and you still feel all alone, um, disconnected, disassociated in some way. So that this is one of the things that I'm very, very, very conscious of, you know, is to actually explore together with you, the person that I'm working with, who I'm working with, what your experience is and, and where, where you want to be going together, you know, and being together. And if it's just like we're being together and if they, and if you're feeling that accompaniment or joining, then you create that sense of awareness. Cause if you're aware and then, and, and this, that is, you know, we're sharing something or saying something or feeling something or not thinking something and saying it out loud. So by um, talking about it out loud, we're making the unspoken spoken, right? And the unknown known. It's like we're leaving the uncertain, the certainty of the world. Um, and that certain world, the one that has, that has felt safe into some of the, you know, some uncertainty, mystery, but that's okay. You know, that's part of the process here is, you know, making the unknown known, the unspoken spoken, the confu bringing uh, clarity to the confusion, all those things that we're going to be co-creating together. Because again, looking at all those multiple dimensions. So, because here's the thing, if, if, if we're aware and that we're sharing something or saying something again, or feeling something again, we're saying it out loud. It's actually being, you know, registered by another human being, you know, who's there for you, right. And helping you and your partner have that sense of connection and being, you know, able to connect in other ways. Um, and because our deepest psychic craving is, you know, if any of you have uh, ever had some injurious things where your reality and your experience was not validated, that could be some of the most, that denial can be very painful. But what is really transformative here is when we get validated or seen, right? In the movie uh, 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 Avatar, where they said, I see you, I see you. You know, being seen is really the, the transformative part and of that experience and not feeling alone and you're not going through you're going through something you know and it's just very very powerful and 
and potentially uh, very, you know, healing and therapeutic in of itself, just that alone. Because I think as, as we've talked about in all of our other podcasts, that much of the, what becomes our suffering or various, you know, forms of it really has something to do with our aloneness and disconnection and either the fact that there's nobody that we share it with or the fact that we're experiencing something that obviously is overwhelms us or overwhelms our resources where we're tapped out of our resources or we start facing our limitation or lack that we're there, you know, but we're able to be there with somebody else. And the trauma was and would be as horrible that our capacity to bear it or deal with it would be quite different because there's this very interesting research that shows that for people who are in combat, now I'm a, um, uh, I spent two years in the army and 10 years in the air force, total 12 years and had seen uh, some combat and had been in the first, during the first Gulf war. But, and I work a lot with the military veterans, first responders, and any really anyone with aversive childhood experiences through whatever. Um, but here's the thing. When there's research that shows that people who've gone through combat experiences, their chances of getting PTSD are significantly reduced. And that kind of finding is present in many other settings. So if they're going through that with a person, another person, another just to and just to mention one another and and to have that space, you know, and we did some research and, you know, the, the Vietnam vets that were coming back from Vietnam, you know, their PTSD and the trauma got exacerbated when they come home because they said, I wasn't alone in Vietnam. I had my buddy. I was alone when I came home. And that sense of aloneness and the terror of that. So all that, so here we go. It's kind of like looking at how these bonds and attachments and having that secure base that you can count on is super, super important in any relationship, right? So this is going to be the part that we begin to explore. But here's here again. So another, just to mention one, one, one other, and <clears throat> sorry, because you were able to say something to someone else. There's also this, kind of a similar kind of, uh, of, of research that during World War II, there were all these kids who were orphaned as their parents were taken to concentration camps, and they were actually in a very therapeutic homeschool run by Anna Freud and, and this other woman named Dorothy Burlingham, and they studied these orphans. And um, what they found out is that, again, with those kids who had somebody they were close to, a sibling or a friend or somebody really whom they felt bonded to or much less traumatized by these most devastating of experiences that they were going through. And this actually influenced a lot of the therapy. You know, just that you have someone that's coming alongside to connect and to be there. Um, and that creates a really a, a, a sense of really significance. So, but here's the thing. What's really striking to me in all these things in the moment is here we're talking about relationship. It's always such a big irony when things start to get a little uncomfortable in relationships, right? Um, you know, especially like how theoretically, you know, you're there with another person 
but you can also feel so alone all the time and think that's part of what's trying to overcome when there are issues in a couple. So when I'm working in the dyad and with you as a couple is to remember that you're also there for each other, the caring, you know, the leaning in, that you're on the same team, that you each other have each other's back, you know, and that they are each other's, you know, buddy, you know, which hopefully helps you survive without too much trauma and that you're, that you both can get in that mutual injury or, you know, inflicting upon each other from that stuck place, that vicious cycle. And that's what we're going to work with you. Uh, of course, you know, so many couples, you know, come to therapy or, or in, you know, are in a couple, but the difficulties have been much that they've been feeling very alone in the relationship. Like I said before, one person's trying to grow and they feel unmet and alone. The other person's really feeling uh, that doesn't necessarily want to grow in the same direction or parallel. And they don't have that shared context feels judged. And you get into that, you know, complain, defend, complain, defend pattern. And that's really the paradox that if we're just able to sort of recognize that presence and share enough of ourselves that the other person also is feeling us or experiences us that we've already done something very significant. And that's where we want to really talk about how to really create and where that healing takes place. And in particular, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, you know, here again about the difference between our core affective emotions and other things that come out as more like our defenses or our defensive strategies and, you know, yeah, and, you know, we need the healing. You know, there are many, many opportunities for it as there are many aspects of anything, you know, especially in our trauma-informed relationship, psychotherapy, try uh, RPM method, um, that we're experiencing is this is healing. And we're actually in the process here of doing some very, um, in the process of doing some more research into this model so that we can, for couples and trauma and relationships. So we need to create some things here that are actually becoming to make more sense of how we move through this, this, this process. But um, so let me try to actually distill this and reduce it and condense it even, you know, um, here with you. So, because I think that sometimes what we've been talking about, which is the experience of having one's aloneness undone and really feeling seen or feeling cared about or just validated or understood, which is empathy and compassion, that in and of itself can be so profoundly transformative. Not in and of itself and not forever, but those kind of moments have really tremendous power. So I think that's one piece. And I think the other that you're, you know, that we're talk, we've been talking about and other guests and other people have been talking about, which is that when we can't process we can't fully process or express the emotions, the feelings. We can't really feel them because what gets repressed, you know, you know, doesn't get expressed. But it, you know, what we repress comes out later in other forms, and um, and all that stuff. So we want to be able to do something about our emotions, either because a they can be very overwhelming, like the ocean with all the high tides, low tides, rip tides, currents, all that stuff going on within your emotions, right? Either because, again, you're just getting flooded with that or because we're in environments where our core emotions are, you know, maybe judged or with criticism or with ridicule or put down, right? So we learn as children 
we learn to exchange our authentic true voice and exchange for let's say relationship connection because that's food that's oxygen so we abandon the true self in exchange and shape shift and 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 import all that and and shut it down to stay protected so we develop these kind of protective strategies you know and they you know and so you that worked very beautifully it's a very sophisticated system you know to to stay uh to survive and it worked in the short term because you don't get hurt you don't get shamed you don't get overwhelmed you don't get you know put in a corner you don't get beat up right all that stuff is really important that we learn that okay so imagine if you will uh you know you're you're seven and you get handed this calculus problem and you never learn the fifth grade level of fractions decimals integers algebraic reasoning none of that's happening none of it you know, and you're trying to solve for X. Well, and you have to do it. You have to survive. You have to get through it. So you get stuck in this sort of double bind, right? So if you're in trauma, let's say the teacher shows a student a stick. And the student says, okay, that stick is real. And the, and the teacher hits or, or, uh, beats the student with the stick. Or if the student says uh, it doesn't exist, right? And the teacher beats the student. Or, or the student ignores the problem or the stick, like it doesn't, isn't real and doesn't even talk about it, right? The teacher strikes him and he gets, you know, and he gets punished again, right? So that felt experience in that moment, you learn a strategy, right? You either, you know, uh, shut down, you, you know, you flee, you fight, you, you go to, you know, you hide out, you escape something because there's this impossible situation, this double bind that keeps you stuck in this vicious cycle. Right. And so we don't realize at seven, right. That you have the power and freedom to choose something different. Like the student can walk up to that teacher or parent, grab the stick and break it in half, break that pattern. Okay, but here's the thing. These patterns we get, begin to, over time, relying on them. They sort of they form almost like a crust or a shell over our hearts where you can become like a turtle and it becomes a part of the external hard part, right? And, and then we become, you know, sort of like, who I, who, this is who I'm presenting to the world, right? This is who... I'm showing to the world and that person's not authentic or it's not your true authentic self. So that just in the being it, it, that just in being able to really break through or let go of any of these protective strategies or protective mechanisms that protect us, but also limit us. Right. And it become that, that the thing, so there's the payoff and what you get out of that in that moment is you get to stay safe and protected, right? You don't have to. So it becomes this velvet cage or velvet trap. It's safe, but you can't escape and you're trapped and it begins to limit us and everything gets really constrained and, and really constricted within your body. You know, as that wounded child begins to get really black and white, all or nothing, rigid, tight, inflexible, unyielding, angry, isolating, exiling their wounded child to 
another country, you know, and then you have the, the other parts of you that the firefighter that's keeping that out or the manager, you have all these different moving parts here that are occurring in that moment. And that makes it really hard to experience those emotions, experiencing them because those protective mechanisms protected you. And again, it was great that, so let's honor the little kid, you know, by saying thank you for saving me and rescuing me and being so courageous. But now we have to have the courage to be vulnerable and touch our emotions, to begin to try to experience them and express them and process them with another human being. Because so that's another huge transformative opportunity for you, particularly because those emotions are wired into us to help us, not to harm us, right? So, but we get stuck sometimes, a stuckness, right? And I want to make this distinction between, you know, hurt and harm and pain and suffering, right? Hurt and harm, pain and suffering, right? So what's the distinction there when we're talking about emotions or feelings or trauma, all right? Did it hurt? Was there, was there hurt? Was there harm? Yes. Was there pain and suffering? Yes, right? However, you... If it's kind of like when you're coming into therapy or anything, you're feeling the hurt and pain. So if you break a leg, what do we do? You go to the hospital, you put a cast on it, you walk around on it for eight weeks or whatever until your leg mends and that bone gets. Now it's going to cause a lot of hurt and more pain to reset that bone, right? So you kind of anticipate it's going to be very, very, very painful, very painful, but you get it over with, you know, you move through it in eight, you know, 12 weeks and you're feeling a lot better and you're able to walk on it and where the bone's broken, it's stronger, right? However, harm, hurt versus harm and suffering is you don't go to the hospital. You don't reset the leg. It gets fixed and calcified and, and, and kind of in a, uh, so the, the bone, the, the bones are sticking out and, and you're kind of moving through the world, kind of clunking along, leap, <laughs> kind of limping through life, you know, um, and and that's causing more suffering and harm to yourself and your leg and every other part of us, right? So those are, and that's where it takes the courage and the vulnerability to get into that space. And I can tell you, I'm no different than any of you. I've been, I've had to really find that space. And if you go back to some of my other podcasts where I talk about really having to wrestle with and get open because I dealt with the wounding of the masculine, the wounding of the patriarchy, you know, of the father and, and mother in other ways where there was a lot of different pain. I had a lot of insecurity and fear around men, right? I felt I didn't, I felt dominated, right? So I avoided domination. I avoided feeling like I can connect to people. But that little boy that was wounded and the adaptation of that is, you know, didn't serve me because I got really rigid and tight, black and white. And then becoming now into this functional adult place, a secure functioning adult where you are more nuanced, right? And you are more able to kind of move to the world and be flexible and yielding and humble and, you know, relaxed and accepting. Right, those types of transformations, which seem scary at first, 
But when you begin to have the courage to be vulnerable and to touch your emotions, you're able to start to experience them, express them in, in a ways with another person. And that, again, like I said, because those emotions are wiring us to help us to be, there's wisdom in the emotions. There's a wisdom. And again, emotions are amazing, you know, and I mean, that's why they survived over thousands and thousands of years because they're really good for us, even though they're difficult. So that is going into the second piece of dealing with our emotions. And you got to remember emotions are a great servant and a terrible master. They're terrible masters. They're great. They serve us. There's wisdom to any of these. And we'll talk, we talk about the emotions in other uh, podcasts. Um, but we want to be able to kind of talk about and to be able to sort out, um, you know, sort out some of this stuff. Because I'm going to mention another one here where we'll end up talking about this a little bit more here is this is uh, this is kind of work that goes, you know, with a lot of the work I do with trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy to do something very, very specific that to my knowledge is uh, not done by other therapeutic models or it's not really done systemically in any case, but uh, this is something that we've created um, and that, and, and here's the thing that in any time there's a moment of change for the better. Okay. At any time there's a moment of change for the better, be it big or small in a given session, we start to focus on the experience of that change, the experience of that moment of transformation. We call that the, uh, I call it secondary, secondary, um, uh, secondary change versus uh, first order change, second order change, or corrective emotional experiences. It's that moment where you have the aha, the, the light goes on, everything's like, because you discovered something really cool, which was, which is that when you do that and you experience that and the process of change or transformation grows and, and that in and of itself is a huge source of, transformational potential. So let me give you an example of what that could look like for any of us, right? This is a really brief story, but it, it also speaks to second order change versus, and, and that corrective emotional experience as we have a shift in our perception, how we view ourselves, others, the world, whatever that is, and you have that major shift and growth and to celebrate that. So I told this story in a couple other podcasts, but I was reading again through Stephen Covey's book, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. And he tells a story about um, this, uh, that he was on this train going across country. It was like an eight, eight, an eight hour train ride. And it was late at night, 10 o'clock. Everybody's exhausted, tired, lights are out. And the last person to get on the train was his father with three little boys. And he sits right behind Steve. And the little boy, he just, the man starts looking out the window and the boys are running around like crazy, um, you know, making noise, uh, you know, yelling, kicking, screaming, fighting, uh, all this stuff. And the father's doing absolutely nothing to put the kids to rest or to, you know, take charge of them in whatever way that he would. Now I want you to think about in that moment, right? Okay. So Steve's there and you're part of that, you know, you're on the, you're in the car yourself and you're observing all this 
and you're thinking, what are you thinking, right? All our judgments and projections and stories and, you know, all the, the, the theory of motivation. Oh, this father, he's so lazy or he's so, such a bad father. Oh, such a, such a, whatever judgment you place on this guy, right? So looking to Steve and they're saying, they make Steve the chairman to say something to this guy. And finally Steve says, hey, dude, take charge of your kids, right? And the father comes out of his little trance and he just wakes up and he goes, I am so sorry. We just came from the hospital. And my wife died, their mother died, and we don't know what to do. In that snapshot moment, nothing changed. Nothing changed. But everything changed in that moment, right? Kids are still running around. Dad's still distraught. Okay. But we have more information. We have a corrective emotional experience. We have second order change because first order changes. I, you know, I don't know how many times you've been to a therapist or whatever, but you go to a therapist and what do they get you to focus on? Changing your behavior, right? Which is fine. That's important. Change how you communicate all those things. You know, okay. If you're smoking, stop smoking. If you're eating too much, stop eating so much or get on a, you know, get on a regimen. You know, if you're being, uh, you know, being, uh, angry, you know, hold your breath for 10 seconds whatever that strategy is. Okay. But notice what you're noticing in that snapshot moment within yourself. When you had more data, more information, there was a perception shift because that's the miracle, right? That's the miracle is a shift in perception and how you're viewing your partner or yourself. And that's really super important because nothing had changed, but you didn't have, I didn't have to go coach anybody on how to provide comfort for these children or support or empathy because they got it. They had that corrective emotion, that moment of change for the better. It's, you know, that could be a big or small one, right? That's what you have to pay attention to because everyone went from anger, rage, you know, uh, just, you know, whatever they're feeling, you know what you're feeling to compassion, empathy. And they started leaning in and taking care of the children, right? Because now there's empathy. There's more information, more data. Again, nothing changed, but everything. And this is a big part of when we're working with creating, discovering something really cool so that you can experience that process of change, the transformative growth, in and of itself because that's what's going to perpetuate more and more, right? The more you feel about that, the more you can create that in your relationship. And so when you have like 20 of those corrective emotional experiences, you know, because the power of focusing on what's going right versus always being focusing on what's going wrong, because as soon as you fix something, it's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? It's, you know, that's fun for the first five, 10 minutes, but if you're not looking for what's right, you're going to move on to the next thing, wrong thing, as opposed to, you know, receiving and accepting and seeing because all that disqualifying of the good and black and white thinking and all or nothing, rigidity, all that stuff that comes up disqualifies and kind of takes us away from the growth, right? So something does change, but again, it's that selective attention when you're just focusing on what's going wrong 
you're going to get more and more of that. So like whack-a-mole, right? It's fun for the first five, 10 minutes, but you're sitting there knocking down every one of those things. And it's exhausting because you have to take some time to really think and focus and, and kind of get back to what Gottman calls like the 20 to one positive negative ratio. So you're finding is bringing zero negativity and three, you know, ways of saying gratitude or what you appreciate about your partner. And for those of you who want to take on that charge or take on that pledge or that challenge, I do a 30 day, no, uh, uh, zero negativity challenge and give three, um, this is part of the, the, um, therapy too, is once they kind of get into that to really stay to practice staying positive. Right. So it feels better because then you can, you know, tackle the next thing when it's, when it's reasonable enough. Um, except that there's this other thing that can happen. And, and when we stay with the positive, we can stay with this thing that has just changed and just gotten better. That feels right. And these amazing, cool things happen when we do that. So then again, you get that positive energizing cycle, the reward cycle, right? The more and more, the more and more, the more positive, the more positive, right? It's the more, you know, again, it's kind of like when she feels your sense of love and safety and connection and that you're leaning in, she is motivated, right? To respond with more respect and admiration, adoration. Maybe that's what the, or, you know, cause these deep psychic cravings within the masculine feminine, like, and this is true for all of us, but the, 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 the deepest psychic craving that's safe for the feminine is that they, men is that they want their feelings and emotions cherished and valued and, you know, and that you listen and you lean in and you create that safe, secure base for them. Right. So that they feel that. And, and ladies and, and guys need that too. They need to love and they need to feel that sense of validation, but they men typically want to have their thoughts and their productivity validated and, and championed and cheerleaded and,